Welcome to Aetherius Radio Live, the Hour of Truth with Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze. Yes, and welcome everyone to Aetherius Radio Live. This is February 19th, 2013, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, with the world on the verge of great change. Never before has spirituality been more important than on a global or personal level than now. Aetherius Radio Live lays bare the truth about many things. And here to host this fabulous program, we have Richard Lawrence in London, England, and we have Christy Blaze in Michigan, and they are continuing their fascinating discussion on Dr. George King, the Aquarian Master. Hello, thank you, Annette. Hello, hi there. Thanks, Annette, and hello, Richard. Hi, Chrissy. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and in fact, uh, the listeners don't know, but uh, we actually met up, didn't we, a few weeks ago? We did. It wasn't so long ago, was it? No, it was a few... Well, well the last broadcast we did, you were in England, weren't you? Oh, that's true. So some of them do know. That's true. (laughs) If they're they're good, dedicated listeners, they know. (laughs) They know your every move, Chrissy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, we had such a wonderful time at this uh, very, very important event in the Aetherius Society. So, I must say it was, it was amazing. That. What we were doing, of course, was, was opening our Aetherius Temple in London, which um, our staff and members here have been working hard on and, and raising the funds for for oh, over 13 years now to get to this point. And it's a wonderful building, isn't it, Chrissy? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic, and I think people are very fortunate if they live in London, and if you're listening in London, then do pay a visit to this absolutely incredible, I mean, it really is, incredible temple, and, um, you know, to go to lectures there and classes, and, well, it would be fantastic. Well, I must say it's great for us because we haven't had, you've got a wonderful premises there in Michigan, and we we have a, a very beautiful and very special chapel here, uh, in London, which we've still got open, the George King Chapel uh, at Aetherius House. But we haven't had a large temple, so it's been hard for a lot of our attenders who have to sometimes sit in two parts of the building, you know, with speakers so they can all attend. And now we can, I think we had uh, 125, Chrissy, on the opening when you were there. And, yes, and that did. was, you know, fairly comfortable, wasn't it? It was. It was absolutely fantastic. It really made a well, it was wonderful, so please do visit. I'm sure what really what I found very moving was the fact that uh, it was a, wasn't good weather, it was very, very cold, and it was snowing, actually, during the ceremony, and we still had people came from not just all over the country, but all over the world. We had people flew, flew, come in from Africa and, uh, and different parts of America and Canada and, and, and different parts of Europe as well, just to be there, and it was... It was absolutely wonderful and very moving, I must say. But onwards to the program, the show for tonight. Absolutely, yes. And this is a very, very important part two, the first part. And if you didn't manage to listen to the first part on Dr. George King, the heart of the Aetherius Society, the founder, um, our master, our spiritual master, if you didn't manage to listen to it, it is archived on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, so you can listen to that. And there's so much to say about Dr. George King that we just knew we had to have at least two programs dedicated to that. And and then we're still only going to be scratching the surface, but we we just ran out, didn't we, of time last last month. And, yeah, as you rightly say, we have to to carry this on. And one of the, the big things we were highlighting towards the end of the program was the fact that Dr. King was what we call a cosmic avatar. I think it might be worth, Chrissy, so we're starting on, uh, on that point. 
Absolutely, because many people wouldn't know what that meant, and uh, the implications mm. of that, of course, are tremendous. So, yeah. Well, in the Ethereum Society, we believe that one of our core beliefs is that that many, not all, but many of the great, certainly the greatest spiritual teachers uh, on who've come to this earth, have come from other planets. Uh, so we do believe, and this is controversial for some, but that the Master Jesus Himself came from the planet Venus, and in fact, it's virtually explicitly said so in the Bible, but that's not why we believe it. We believe it because he, he himself, Master Jesus, has revealed that through Dr. King. And in fact, the star of Bethlehem, of course, was, was no star. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, a star can't lead three men to a stable. Um, that was obviously a, a spacecraft, and of course, this brought the Master Jesus to Earth. But others, the Lord Buddha, the uh, incredible Sri Krishna, Sri Patanjali, Laozi, uh, Confucius, Sankacharya, and others, Moses. We believe these figures and, and some others all came from other planets and were reincarnated here, chose to go through terrible limitation and suffering in order to help us, and in the case of uh, some of them, and the martyr Jesus, terrible suffering. In the case of Samson, awful suffering uh, for, for mankind. And we, we believe uh, that Dr. George King was also one of these cosmic avatars and a, and a very, very significant one. Absolutely. Um, he, he really was. And I think if you study his life, and hopefully you will listen to the first program in this one and, and take this further and, and look at his, the website, Ethereus.org, because you'll see that the uh, not just the man himself, the master, but the amount of work that he did, his mission was absolutely uh, incredible, so far-reaching, so ahead of its time, so visionary, that, you know, it's, it's not hard to, to realize the fact that he must have come from another world, because he's introducing new thought and new inventions and so forth, um, which were never here before. Exactly, and I think the hallmark, really, in the end, of, of any great teacher, any great master, is the teachings they brought and the techniques or the methods or the missions they left behind them for others to perform. And uh, when you look into, and we'll be covering this a lot on various issues of Ethereus Radio Live, some of the missions that we do, uh, which he left to us, uh, arranged with cosmic forces, they are absolutely stupendous, and, and as Chrissy says, really, when you start to look at him, uh, you can tell that he's not of this world. I mean, I'm lucky, I'm one of those who knew him, as you did, Chrissy, and um, it, it was clear mm. that he really was looking at the world in a very different way, and a much more evolved way, and a very compassionate way, but also a very logical way, that we just don't get from people on, on, on this earth. I mean, the, the interest, the concerns of people, especially on this physical plane that we're all on, um, well, I say we're all on, and I'm sure there are some maybe listening who aren't, who knows, but um, most of us are on here, on the, this physical plane is so basic, the concerns, the issues that are covered in the media, they're, they're not all um, you know, bad, but some of them are very, very petty in the extreme. And yet you have a master like Dr. King, a cosmic avatar, and he looked at life from the point of view of humanity as a whole, always looked at humanity as a whole, 
not so much the petty personal issues between people, but how can you help, save, serve the whole human race? Yes, exactly. He gave us so many very practical, very highly spiritual, but also very practical tools that everyone can use, not just he didn't just give them to people in the ethereal society, but he gave these tools, prayer, healing, and so forth, um, to the whole world. And I think this is another mark, isn't it, of, of um, the great cosmic avatars. They came to humanity. They, they brought their magic, which has an impact down through the centuries, just like the Master Jesus. His impact was so profound that even today he has this tremendous power. And I believe the, our Master's power will grow and grow and grow uh, down through the centuries. We're yes. at the beginning now. I mean, that's right. And, and one of the things about him is that he's very, very much ahead of his time, which in terms of world recognition is a, is a problem because yeah. it does mean that the, the, the sort of language that, the, that he's spoken, I mean, I don't mean the, the actual language because he spoke in very easy to understand uh, terms, but the sort of concepts that he was dealing with, much as he always tried to simplify them, as much as he possibly could, were just so way ahead of even metaphysical organizations, uh, self-help organizations and so on. He was looking at the new age and the global salvation of the human race, and even beyond that, at cooperation between this world and other worlds. And this is something, uh, funnily enough, I heard a, a broadcast on, on the BBC over here yesterday between various academics debating, you know, contact with beings from other planets, Chrissy, and uh, mm. they were, uh, it was almost ridiculous. I think one of them actually was a UN representative on this issue, because the, the UN are struggling with uh, the issue of what they will actually say if there ever is contact. And it was really pathetic to behold, and they were even wondering whether it wouldn't be best for the human race to uh, resist any uh, aliens who come. And the interesting thing about the program was they pretty well accepted that this will happen. Mm. That's a big change uh, yeah. for a lot of people. But we should resist them in the same way that the Native Americans, they said, should have resisted the... Um, the Spanish conquistadors and so on, when, and the English and so on when they came over, uh, because you know, they might be far more hostile than we could ever know. And this is really the problem. It, making that comparison is so ridiculous. I mean, these are beings who aren't out to imperialize the planet. If they were, we would know about it. We wouldn't even be discussing it. And Dr. King was always looking uh, with that cosmic eye of compassion not to interfere with the human race, not to interfere with the free will of the human race, much as it's got a lot to be, uh, you know, to be changed. But always, how can we help them? And you could see this. I think it was interesting. I, I went up, actually, Chrissy, just after you came back, to America in, in the late January with uh, Brian Kniep, who's the Executive Secretary of the American Headquarters. We went up to the stomping ground, as we call it over here, the area where Dr. King grew up as a child in the north of England. And, you know, we, we saw the school he went to and some of the houses that he lived in. Uh, and it was very interesting because knowing, having talked to him and heard his various accounts of that period, again, he was coming at it from a very, very uh, different direction. He was quite a poorly child, actually, but he was always seeking out uh, the spiritual in life. And one of the places we went to, actually, 
was the wood that he went to when he was 11 years old and prayed for his mother when she was ill. And I think you're going to recount that story, Chrissy. Oh, you actually went there? How wonderful. We went there. Uh, yeah, we're pretty sure we found the, the area where he went, very near the old schoolhouse where he lived in a place called Hutton Gate in North Yorkshire. Yes, um, it's interesting because I was reading the, that story recently and um, I was also doing some research on the Master Jesus and reading how, as a child, he performed these healing miracles. And then I reca- recalled about our own master, Dr. King, who as a child at the age of 11, his mother was seriously ill. And he went out into the woods one night with just a little oil lamp, and it was very dark and very cold and wet, as it often is in the north of England. And suddenly the oil lamp sort of petered out, and he was in the complete pitch darkness. Here was an 11-year-old boy in the complete darkness. So what did he do? Um, he started to pray for his mother, and he prayed and prayed with all his heart and soul, visualized her, and as he did so in this pitch darkness, a being appeared, a being of great light, and he um, said, after some time, your mother is healed, and uh, Dr. King went home and found his mother downstairs. She hadn't been downstairs for a while, and she was looking so much better and she said I know you've been in the woods and I know that you met an angel there because she was a great psychic too and of course the next day um, the doctor came and he couldn't believe the tremendous healing that had been taken place um, absolutely it's a lovely story it is and, and, and actually in, in this wonderful book You Too Can Heal which was a revolutionary book itself because it was, it was published in 1976 and I, I was just out of uh, university then and uh, I met uh, Dr. King and uh, you were over as well Chrissy, you lived here then and we were starting to promote this book You Too Can Heal and people probably listening especially younger listeners will be amazed to hear that this was extremely controversial in those days, certainly in this country and I think actually in many parts of America it was illegal anyway unless you were a minister and even then I think it was questionable in some faiths at that time. The idea, though, that anybody could heal, even in the spiritual movement and the psychic movement, was completely rejected. I mean, I I remember going to the biggest healing organization at the time in the UK and and taking this book, and they said, well, you know, not anyone can do it. You've either got the gift or you haven't. So with this book, he really broke down barriers. Mm-hmm. And but it's in this book, you too can heal, which is now, I'm, and I know he's delighted about this, accepted by most people now that everyone can heal. And that's one of the things he pioneered. But in this book, he he writes these words about the experience that Chris has just um, explained to us. And these are some of his words. Gently at first. I became aware of a presence unlike any other presence I had come into contact with. Remember, he was 11 years old, uh, and as Chrissy said, his oil lantern had gone out. My eyes were tightly closed, and whether I went on praying out loud or not, I do not remember. But I do remember vividly that I felt a tremendous urge to open my eyes and at first fought against it. But then curiosity or fear, or a mixture of both, took the upper hand of my shivering frame, and I opened them and for a moment stared wildly at that which I saw. Standing about ten to twelve feet away from me was the figure of a man. He had a flowing robe and long hair, and seemed to be illuminated in some mysterious way from within, for he carried no lantern in his hand, and yet I could see him very plainly indeed. I closed my eyes tightly and opened them again, 
and the being became even clearer to my normal vision. To me, he looked gigantic, but I feel that this was part imagination and part fear. However, he was tall, with long brownish hair and wore flowing robes, which seemed to be luminous in the darkness. By this time, I suppose I was shivering with another feeling besides the cold. He looked at me and smiled a wonderful, all-knowing, fatherly type of smile, which gave me an inner reassurance as would the knowing, understanding smile of a parent. He made no attempt to announce his identity, but pointed with his right hand, index finger outstretched, and simply said, Go, your mother is healed. Wonderful and story. That, you know, and that's the sort of the sort of thing that eleven year old boys don't usually recount, let's face it. I mean, even if they do have a vision it would be um and I'm not saying others haven't, by the way, far from it, but that kind of detail and that kind of knowingness that he had even then marked him out, I think, as a, a very unique individual, which of course he turned out to be. And I think it was interesting that obviously he was very fearful, who wouldn't have been in the darkness in this mm. cold night. He was obviously only 11, so obviously he was very fearful, and yet he continued because, and I think yes. he said, um, the spiritual determination is greater than any other kind of determination, and Shaw did have that, even from this young age. Oh, he did, and then, then he went to, to when he went to the, his, his school that you go to when you're, I think, 12 or 13, I think he was, when he went to his next school. Uh, there, too, he had some life-changing experiences, uh, which would have unnerved many people, because he didn't know then. He wasn't aware what he was or where he came from or the fact that he was different. And and yet he he had this kind of inner knowing that he, he could deal with it. And, and he used to go to a place up in the north called Rosebury Topping, which um, uh, Brian and I climbed, actually, uh, and gained great insights, even at that young age. And he was actually, he did go to church at the time, the Church of England, which is, of course, the, the church that he would have been brought up in at that time. Um, and he, he didn't believe it all, but he did find great solace in going there uh, and some inspiration. But later he became a Quaker. I don't, how well known is the Quaker movement uh, in America, Chrissy? Do you know? I don't know. I, I think it is okay. known about, yes. Because well. the Quaker movement, it's, it's, um, I, I suppose it's somewhat akin to some of the sort of um, Presbyterian and Puritanical almost kind of movements, some of which, uh, of course, the early settlers that came to America were from that tradition, although it started quite a bit later. But where it was unusual in those days was that it was opposed to all killing, and it meant all killing, and therefore a Quaker was a conscientious objector for spiritual reasons. And here you had a very dynamic, a very um, active person, a person who, by the way, as a hobby, could do things like boxing and shooting. He, he wasn't a sort of cowardly person, far from it, quite the opposite. And yet, when the war broke out, he became he was a conscientious objector, and, and he, he just didn't believe that war was the answer to the, the, the problems that existed, that there was a spiritual answer to it. Uh, but he did take part in the war effort. He took part in the in the Blitz as a fire in the fire service. Used his clairvoyance to help save lives as well by discovering bodies buried under the rubble. Very dangerous in the London Blitz, which was being bombed, of course. Um, but didn't engage in in killing or, or the front line or fighting. Uh, 
following that Quaker tradition, which he discovered for himself as a teenager. Yes, and, and people in America have to realize, and, I, and some younger people may not, that the London Blitz was just as dangerous as any front line at the time. I mean, it really was a dangerous situation, um, especially to be a firefighter in that. Because oh, bombs, yeah. You know, bombs were coming down all the time, every night for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've been able to talk to his sister and so on, who was only two years younger than him, and he was a very active man indeed. I want to stress that. He wasn't sort of fearful, far from it. But it's very significant and interesting, I think, and, and again was a mark of what he would do and what he would become, that he did take that stance even then. And he did, of course, it was quite legal. If you were a genuine conscientious objector, he had permission, and he performed other peacetime duties and, and, and some dangerous duties, as, such as the fire service. But it was when the war finished in 1945, because he had been born in 1919, so there he was at the age of uh, 26, that's when he really said, no, you know, there's got to be something else, there's got to be a deeper answer, a more metaphysical answer than the orthodox traditions that I'm learning from, even including the Quaker one. And, and that's when he, he did something which was extremely unusual in in, the, in those days. I mean, we take it for granted now because everybody nowadays, or well, not everybody, but millions of people practice yoga all over the world, but they didn't then, especially a young man. And there he was, and he decided not only to investigate yoga, but to really, really dedicate his life completely to it. Um, and that meant giving up virtually all his leisure time. He, he practiced yoga from 1945 for 10 years for an average of eight hours a day. I have to get my head around that, Chrissy. That, that's easy to say, but when you think about what that means, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Oh, yes, on top of a regular job. and Oh, my goodness me, a tremendous dedication. Yes, he did do a regular job. He did various jobs. The press likes to call him former taxi driver, which is fine because he did drive taxis. He did various other jobs as well during that period. He, he, he was a driver, and he regarded that as a way of paying his way through what he used to call the university of life. And that's what he would tell his clients in the taxi if he was driving them. <laughs> um, and they'd say, which university are you at? He said, well, the university of life. And, of course, that was his yoga practice. So, you know, while other people might be studying whatever they did at university, the classics or the mathematics, or he was studying Raja Yoga, the advanced aspects of it, which were pretty, still quite hard to get hold of then. They were, they'd come over, but he was really having to seek these out in, in various organizations and bookshops and so on and put them into practice. He was not a theorist was he? He was never a man for theorizing when you could do something. Oh, no, very practical. In fact, I've had people say to me, how come, you know, if Dr. King was a cosmic master, that he had to do these regular jobs, you know, but he was a very practical man. Also, if we look at someone like the Master Jesus, he too was a carpenter, you know, and I believe, and I, I don't know if you agree with me, Richard, that the cosmic avatars, when they come to us in this fourth aspect body, this limitation, it takes them... Um, years to gain the full their full power they won't gain the full powers but gain a higher aspect of their um consciousness and to realize truly who they are I mean, I well that's know. a very interesting point and it's quite a deep point that actually that that's all part of the essential karmic manipulation because what they can't do and what 
this will happen in the future, and we've talked about it before on this program, when an, an avatar does come openly from another world. But up to now, that hasn't been allowable within our karma. And so when they've come, they've had to take terrible limitation. In the case of Dr. King, he had a very poorly childhood. He had many uh, health ailments, and this dogged his, his youth, really. Uh, he overcame it eventually, and he learned many things from it, but it certainly isn't something he deserved himself. It was all part of the karma that he had to take uh, in order to, to come here. That was one of the reasons for it anyway. And yes, I mean, they had to earn money. I mean, the Lord Buddha, I think, is the only cosmic avatar, certainly that comes to mind at the moment, who was born into wealth, and he gave up his wealth right. and left it. Um, or most of the others were born in, in pretty mundane conditions. I mean, we tend to forget that Sri Krishna, one of the greatest cosmic avatars ever to come to this world, and certainly one of the most advanced, who, who came from a very elevated planet, the planet Saturn, uh, he w was a cowherd, we're told. And right. then later, of course, with the great, one of the greatest Bibles ever given to, to Earth, the Bhagavad Gita, I think was given while he was driving, wasn't he? He was driving a chariot and speaking oh. to Arjuna in the back seat. Um, from what one can gather, we don't know the ins and outs of that, but that's that's the account that we have. I think that's such a great lesson just there, because people are so concerned they have to find their passion, you know, their, the, the career that really speaks to them, and yet really, you know, the spiritual life is the important thing, and the career is just helps us to pay the bills, the way I look at it, anyway. I, th I think that's true. Unless your career is, is tied up, you know, if you're lucky enough, and uh, I, I mean, I am, I suppose, if you can call it a career, to actually work for the thing you believe in, albeit for a modest salary, then, of course, it all comes together. But, yes, so many, most people have to work their way through to pay the bills, and that's part of the yoga, too, though. And people can know that. You know, does the yoga doesn't sort of just start when they start praying or start doing yoga or something, it, it's getting up, it's, it's getting the food, it's doing the essentials that you have to do in order to be able to do your yoga practice in the evenings or whenever you can do, or the weekends or whatever it may be. Yes, exactly, and that, that's a really good point because that's one thing Dr. King taught us as his students, that whatever we do, do it as perfectly as possible, whether you are a driver or a security guard or whatever it is or you're giving service as a waiter, just do it with this uh, spirit of service. And everything we did, we tried to do in this, this, with this spirit and as perfectly as we possibly could. Absolutely. And, and, of course, he did it himself. And all the while, while he was doing these various jobs, whatever jobs he had to do to earn enough money, and he lived modestly, he didn't seek, he never, in all the years I knew him right up to the end, sought material goods for himself or indulged himself in, you know, clothing or expensive trips or things of that nature. He was always focused on the, on the yoga, the task, service to others, and he didn't live in poverty or squalor as we would see squalor. I'm sure for a cosmic avatar, everything on this earth is squalor, including the best palace on, on, on the planet is squalor for a cosmic avatar. And we have to remember that. But he lived a very modest life. I mean, here in London, he had a tiny apartment, which he used to stay in most years, uh, as did with his dear wife, Monique. And, uh, you know, it was very modest indeed. But his focus was on the yoga. And throughout those 10 years following the war, 
He was doing Raja Yoga, Nani Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, uh, many other branches of yoga in order to develop himself and become the master that he knew he had to become. He wasn't yet aware of his full mission, but he knew what he had to do and he set out to do it. And he, he didn't just sort of get born with the powers, he had to rediscover them. I mean, he, he obviously had an awareness of them, and so he kind of knew what to do and how to go about it, but he had to do it. He had to do just what anyone else on this earth would have to do, which is extremely intense mental and physical effort, and spiritual effort especially, to attain these powers. And, and, and when you're dealing with Kundalini Yoga in particular, you have to be, I remember one phrase actually from a, from a great theosophist, he said, you've got to be a bit of a spiritual athlete to, to, to cope with that branch of yoga, and he indeed was. Yes, I think this is all uh, was all preparation, obviously, for his mission, which I think is a good time to have a break now, Richard, a little break, sure. and then we can come back after the break and talk about his mission, which started in 1954. What do you think? I think that's great. Wow. Okay. Oh, thank you all for tuning in to Aetherius Radio Live. This show is brought to you through Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, live on the third Tuesday of every month from 1 until 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we invite you to go to Aetherius.org, that is A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S.org, for more information. It will guide and direct you to chapters of the Aetherius Society all around the world and update you on all of the events, as well as provide you with information on how to obtain many of the publications and more information on Dr. George King. Richard Lawrence would like to invite everybody in England to a lecture he is giving on Tuesday, March 12th, on his book, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message. This will be held at the London Forum, and you can find more details of the lecture and the venue on his website, which is www.richardlawrence.co.uk. And Chrissy Blaze is going to be launching the first of a new monthly series of Cosmic Wisdom Study Classes at the Aetherius Society. There is a love offering for this class that is suggested, and the class will be followed by a social with cookies, coffee, and conversation. So please do come along and meet Chrissy, share in the wonderful wisdom of the Cosmic Masters in person at the Aetherius Temple, 3119 North Campbell Road, that's just south of 13 Mile in Royal Oak, Michigan, 48073 and you can call 248-588-0290 that's 248-588-0290 for more information and again we direct you to www.aetherius.org for more information on the Aetherius Society and all that that entails returning you now to the live program here on the 19th day of February 2013 Aetherius Radio Live hosted by Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze Thank you, Annette. Well, we're back again, and uh, we've led up, I think, uh, to our master's, Dr. George King's mission, which really began, I think, in 1954. And, Richard, would you like to explain um, that? I was, I was about to ask you whether you would, but yes, certainly oh, yes, I will. Like, my pleasure. <laughs> okay. So uh, am I doing it, Chrissy, or are you doing it? Um, well, we could uh, take it in turns. No. Okay. Well, I'll Go make ahead. it dark. So it was on. It was in May the eighth, nineteen fifty-four, and he had a, a bedstead in in an area of London called Maida Vale, uh, when he received what is now known as the command. 
And the command was an audible voice that he physically heard. It wasn't a psychic voice or clairaudience or something of that nature. certainly wasn't imaginary. And it said, prepare yourself. You are to become the voice of interplanetary parliament. And he at the time was engaged. He had a healing group, a small mediumistic circle that he was involved with. And they were really developing many um, advances, especially him, of course, leading it in healing and so on. And he wasn't prepared in a way for this, hence the words prepare yourself. This is, he didn't quite know what it meant and, and where it would lead. And Do you want to take it from there, Chrissy? Yes, I mean, through all his yogic training over many, many years, he knew that this wasn't a voice in the head. He, he knew it was a very, very distinct voice outside of himself. And so he knew he had to take it very seriously. And he was absolutely determined to find out where it came from, what it meant, uh, what was the meaning of it. So he, he locked himself in a, a room and he decided that he wouldn't come out until he found the answers that he was looking for, what this meant. Indeed, and, that, and he did get the answers. And the, the whole story is beautifully described in the book You Are Responsible, or the book that I was privileged to co-author with him, uh, which is Contacts with the Gods from Space. And you'll see it in those publications in detail and how a, a Swami actually came through a locked door. I won't spoil it for you. I'll let you read that. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as well in future programs. But he then realized that he he'd been contacted by an incredibly advanced and wonderful cosmic master who's given the pseudonym Ethereus. And that's where we get our name from, Ethereus, one who travels through the ethers of space. And the master Ethereus proceeded to give some outstanding uh, cosmic teachings, teachings the like of which had never been given in that way before. I mean, the, 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 the greatest truths are the oldest ones. I mean, there's nothing new uh, really under the sun, they say, and that's true. But what we are now given through the Ethereum Society is a whole new extension, if you like, of the ancient teachings to introduce a cosmic dimension. So in the 1950s, the rest of the 1950s, he was really promoting the spiritual aspect. I mean, that was a period for those who are familiar with UFOs, and I cover it quite a bit in my book, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, when there were a number of UFO contactees around, and some of them were, they used to be called nuts and bolts, very down-to-earth type claims, very physical, materialistic almost approach to the subject. Some had a more spiritual approach, but nobody had such a metaphysical, far-reaching spiritual approach from get-go, right from the beginning, as Dr. King and, and he really was a pioneer. And in the 1950s, especially for listeners who aren't in this country and don't, aren't familiar with it, was a very, very conservative, formal time in this country. Just after the war, people were smartly dressed, very careful what they said, very circumspect, didn't want to upset orthodox religion, orthodox science, orthodox politics. I mean, politicians were still admired in those days, and things have changed now. Um, and there was Dr. King sticking his neck out, being pilloried, really, in the, in the media, being mocked, uh, being attacked, and yet standing absolutely firm. And when you think that in 1958, 
Dr. King arranged in one of the, the, the biggest centres in, in London, which is Trafalgar Square, many people might know that, a rally uh, demanding the truth from the government about UFOs, saying that the government was lying about UFOs. Now, that doesn't sound like very much now, to a young person especially, because most people think the governments lie about everything pretty much nowadays. But then they didn't. And especially to be talking about, they used to be called flying saucers in those days. That's the kind of issue that he did. Another one was nuclear disarmament. And many of the, the cosmic uh, communications in the, in the 1950s were on that topic, weren't they, Chrissy? Yes, absolutely. And then also, um, there were three main communicators, really, and, and a few more over the years. The Master yes. of Sirius, as Richard said, um, a, a being from Mars called, with the pseudonym of Mars Sector 6, and, of course, the Master Jesus. And uh, these messages were, as Richard said, uh, on, at first on the dangers of nuclear experimentation, which is a fascinating topic in itself. And perhaps we'll do a show on that later on. But mm. then later on, there were predictions which came true, and were like UFO predictions. There were predictions about weather patterns, changing weather patterns. There was also tremendous cosmic wisdom, which cha you know, has, has, I think it's like initiations into truth. And actually, right. I'm going to do a little plug here, because on Friday... I'm going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at in the study class, one of these early transmissions from the Master Aetherius. Mm -hmm. It's actually a two-part transmission from free will to freedom. Oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely it's, wonderful. I know. I know. I looked, I thought, which, which transmission shall I begin with? And we have 600 of these transmissions, which were given an unbelievable number. What a wealth of wisdom. And, but I thought this is such a, a fantastic transmission. We also have it available on CD if you can't come along. Mm -hmm. But, but it was, um, it's so fun fundamental, isn't it? The subject is such an important one, I think. Oh, everybody. it certainly is. It certainly is. Because people don't know the difference between free will and freedom. And some, some people think that free will is freedom. And it's something that human beings really, really want. And yet it doesn't give them happiness or satisfaction. You need, it's something that people, they want to be able to make their own decisions and go where they want and do what they want. And it's a human, I say they, I mean, we, we're all part of this human condition. And it's only when you make this step, and I won't, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic lecture on Friday, so I won't go too far into this, but it's only when we start saying, well, no, actually, it's not about what I want. It's about what, God wants, if you like, or what my higher self wants, or what is the right thing to do, that means giving up this kind of petty free will, and that's when you start to experience real freedom, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yes, and actually I was reading um, a, new, a very, very well-known New Age teacher the other day, and he actually said that freedom is getting what you want when you want it. <laughs> which, which is totally the opposite. I do worry we... about some of these New Age teachers, I must say. Yeah. So we have um, to be very careful. Mm. Well, you see, that's the thing is, with Dr. King, and it's a serious point, actually, he did not go down a popular line. I mean, he could have gone. That, that's a kind of a popular thing to say, really, I suppose, what you just quoted there. And he avoided doing that. He always stuck right from the beginning, and you can hear his outstanding lectures that he gave because he was an outstanding teacher in his own right, not just a medium. He, he put his own angle and his own take and his own meditative wisdom upon these truths and these teachings, which is absolutely distinctive, but it didn't always make him popular. 
and he always was willing to stick his neck out and say what he knew, not believed, but knew, was true. And I'm afraid that isn't, doesn't really do well for your budget. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but some Another US one... teachers don't do that, I'm afraid to say. That's true. Another wonderful thing about the cosmic messages is that um, the cosmic masters would introduce a concept which kind of is like an initiation because it makes you think in a different way. But then they, they never left you sort of hanging and wondering what you should do because after this transmission was 1960, a couple of years later, um, there was a series of transmissions from Mars Sector 6 entitled The Nine Freedoms, which if you were wondering, well, what exactly is freedom? Uh, here was a wonderful mm-hmm. tome, my favorite book in the Ethereum Society, my favorite series of transmissions. And me. My favorite book on the planet, actually, The Nine Freedoms. Oh, yeah. Mm. You have to, listeners, you have to get this one book. You really get. must. You, to do yourself a favor, if you haven't got The Nine Freedoms, do get it. If you haven't got it on CD, do get the CDs and do get the outstanding commentaries, if you can, by Dr. King on this, because it, it is, I mean, I mentioned earlier the Bhagavad Gita is a wonderful, wonderful holy Bible, and there are many great spiritual books, Light on the Path and so on from the past, but to me, nothing compares to the Nine Freedoms. Yes, I have to totally agree. It's a, it's a wonderful book. But I think we, sc- sorry. Sorry. And, and it's something that, well, I certainly have been reading it for decades, and each time I read it, I, I learn some more, you know, it's, Oh, yeah. But I think we skipped over a bit there, Chrissy, because by then, of course, he'd come to America, hadn't he, Dr. King? Right. And, of course, we're still, just before we leave England, he, was, he lived in England until 1959, and even then he came back and visited regularly. Um, and during that period, we should also mention in the, one of perhaps the greatest series of teachings that he received in the 50s, which was the Twelve Blessings. And this was delivered by the Master Jesus. And actually, we won't go into it because our next program is going to be devoted to this, isn't it, Chrissy? Absolutely, yes. And that was channeled by the Master Jesus himself. And that is just, it's not just a teaching, it's also a practice. And we'll talk more about that next month on Ethereus Radio Live. Absolutely, the third Tuesday. And then he, he, he left uh, this country. He was called to America. He was in the middle of a mission called Operation Starlight. And some listeners may remember we covered the Lord's Declaration in an earlier program. We, went, we actually read it out. And this was when he was on a mountain in England, in Cornwall, and received the words about the coming of the next master. So that had happened also just prior, in, the, in late 1958, prior to him, him leaving the country, and he was still engaged in this mission, Operation Starlight, which was causing various mountains around the world to be charged, in fact, 19 of them, and he had to climb 18 of those 19 mountains, uh, and they are difficult climbs. That, that again, is a program which I'm sure we'll want to, to devote to, to Operation Starlight at some point. Oh, absolutely, yes. And that, that's when he came over to America. He was, he was called to go to the Americas, and that's then where he settled, and that's where he also founded the Ethereum Society. Well, it was founded in, 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 in England, uh, but it was also established in America, and it really started to grow there, and especially in, that, in those days he was in Hollywood, where we still are, in Ca- Hollywood, California, in Los Angeles. And, of course, that's where he received, as, as you were saying, Chrissy, the Nine Freedoms. Yes, and, and him, him getting the uh, instruction 
to come to America, it was a tremendous test of faith. And, you know, the first freedom is bravery, and he always demonstrates such courage because he, had, he didn't have the money to come. So what did he do? He did a huge lecture tour around a strange country, the United yeah. States of America, with, with no money in his pockets to sort of pay his way and spread the teachings around the country. So this is very typical of Dr. King. It was, and some of those lectures we still have available. I mean, they're on CDs, and they are absolutely outstanding. There was Dr. King, the master, the teacher, um, as well as the cosmic avatar, giving his own insights, commenting on the, the outstanding wisdom he'd received, but also drawing on his years of yoga practice in this, that particular life, as well as his cosmic knowledge, um, and, and what it takes individuals, so there's personal development, as well as service, as well as the cosmic plan. There's a whole series of subjects that he covered in that incredible period, the late 1950s, and especially in America in the early 1960s. I'd yes, have loved I to have, have been there, wouldn't you, Chrissy? Oh, absolutely, and I have to give a plug to the Michigan branch because that actually started in 1960, Right. Um, thanks to Edna Spencer at the time who was there. Mm and started the branch, and it has been going ever since here. Mm. And then we're sort of speeding on with this sort of quick summary of his, of his life, and of course we're going to come back to many of these things, to give people an overview of this, this, this master, this cosmic avatar we're talking about, so they can see why we say he was so outstanding and so distinctive. I mean, there he was from 1954 up to his passing in 1997, completely 100% committed to his mission. And that was one of his hallmarks, single-minded, total dedication and focus on his task. And having seen him at first hand, I and others, and Chrissy and others, can vouch for that. There was nothing at all that would cause him to deviate from the task he'd been given by his masters, if you like, and he was going to follow it, and he did follow it. And one of the highlights came in the early 1960s when he received the transmission, the cosmic transmission, of the initiation of Earth on July the 8th, 1964. Do you, do you want to say something about that, Chrissy? Uh, this was a time of great change for this planet, this, um, our master said, was the most important transmission which he received. And at the time he received it, he didn't know what it was about and later realized that this was a time when the earth, as a great being, a great goddess, received energies from cos interplanetary sources in this great uh, cosmic mission, interplanetary mission of giving um, energy to the earth. Because the earth, as, as we should think about and should really have in our consciousness is a great goddess who gives us everything we need on our spiritual journey. And we rarely pay, take the time to thank her or be appreciative. And she has allowed us on her back, on her wonderful body, and given us all that we need, and has held back in doing so her own evolution, because she is a much more evolved intelligence, far more evolved than we are, far more important than humanity as a whole. And she's held this back for her great love of us. And until the great ones declared that she could no longer do this, and on July the 8th, 1964, she received her primary initiation as a planet. And the transmission of this is a very, very holy transmission, which 
members of the Ethereum Society are allowed to, uh, member initiates actually, are allowed to listen to on, on July the 8th each year, and it's a wonderful initiation, but the beginning of a whole time of change for this earth. Yeah, and it is, a, it is for us the holiest day of the year because it's about the Mother Earth. Without the Mother Earth, and maybe some of the ancient Greeks and certain other cultures understood this a bit, but not in this depth that we, we've now had it revealed to us, um, we wouldn't have experience itself. Uh, it's ridiculous, really, that some of the you know, various missionaries of certain religions would go out and try and stop so-called primitive people from revering and worshipping the Mother Earth, because those so-called primitive people were way ahead of them. I mean, this is the most sacred thing we will ever touch, the Earth. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful being. And, in fact, I think it was the overriding motivation for Dr. King, even over and above humanity. He was completely committed to humanity. Didn't always particularly like humanity, by the way, in certain respects. But he was completely committed to saving humanity. But even more than that was his love, his dedication, and his commitment to the Mother Earth. Yes, this is true spiritual ecology of a very the highest nature. And Indeed. from that great love, of course, he devised uh, the great mission Operation Sunbeam, which we'll talk about briefly in a moment, I believe. Mm. Yes, well, his second phase then of his mission started in 1965, I think it was 65, uh, just after this initiation of Earth, and it went into a sort of a different gear. It, it wasn't that he hadn't um, touched on uh, on this area before, but he started to focus, and, and I say touched on, much more than touched on, he had, he'd been drawn into and committed to helping uh, souls in what we call the lower astral realms. And this is a, a very a topic that many spiritual organizations don't touch on. There are many spiritual organizations which don't want to look or face up to the dark side of this planet, of, of the human race, I should say. But it is there, and one person who did, for example, try to look at this aspect was Dante in his Inferno, but I'm sure he would say that uh, what he wrote was a footnote compared to what Dr. King uh, was about to reveal and really makes it almost seem redundant and in certain respects not even correct, because in in this period, Dr. King brought through transmissions about a series of missions um, which were connected to saving us, but saving us from conflicts in the lower realms, which could have and would have spilled over and affected us here in, in this realm, and in, indeed in the others too. I think that's a very good point about this a philosophy out there that we shouldn't focus on, on the bad things, only the good. But it, it never made sense to me because in order to change something within ourselves or within the world that is not good, first we have to focus on it. Uh, if we detach from it before we focus on it, we will never change it. And so this work in the lower realms, and we have to realize, yes, of course there are lower realms. Where else would people who are murderers and so forth, where would they go when they pass on, you know, to heaven? No, of course not, because we go to the, uh, where, we, where we vibrate. We go to the level to which we vibrate. And so these realms are very real, and when there are wars on this planet, they are, they are started, they are inspired, if you like, by these dark forces, these dark forces in the lower realms. Yes, which is not a fiery furnace, and it's not an eternal place of damnation either. And that's the positive angle that Dr. King always stresses. You know, even if you, if you are a person who went to the so-called hells, you will eventually come out and go to the heavens. 
So that is, this is a very positive aspect of it. Uh, it's a transmuting, spiritualizing uh, thing. But you'll, we will never understand the human condition, even on this world, this physical world, if we don't realize the implications of the lower astral realms and, and really what goes on there. And this is an, an enormous topic, which we, again, will probably come back to in, in a future um, broadcast, I think, uh, Chrissy. Yes. I think so, absolutely, yeah. But you were talking about Operation Sunbeam, and there is an absolute wonderful, wonderful jewel. And this was found, this is a, actually Dr. King's own invention and, and designed to give energy back to the Mother Earth. And this was uh, actually started in 1966. That's right, yes, and continues today. And still continues, and, and this is one of the things, is that one of the great things that Dr. King focused on, and we are seem to be running out of time again here, in the latter part of his life was how and what, uh, of the various missions he'd, he'd, he'd become involved in, how and what can we continue these when I've gone. And I think of all the masters, one, one doesn't really know the details of, of what some of these cos cosmic avatars went into. But what I can say, because I was personally involved throughout this latter part of his, his life in doing, helping him to do this, not only me, but I was certainly involved very, very much in it, he was dotting every I, crossing every T, going as far as he could, and really working to ensure that his legacy continued afterwards. Yes, exactly. And uh, many of the missions that he devised and invented are continuing today, and I I don't know if we're going to go into all of those. As Richard said, we're running out of time again. Well, we could just name them, couldn't we, since we're doing absolutely. a summary of his life. There's Operation Sunbeam. Uh, there's Operation uh, Prayer Power, which I think we've mentioned before, which uh, people can attend. It's a wonderful mission where energy is stored in a physical container, a battery, and then released at a later date in, in cooperation with beings from other worlds to various locations. And then there are missions to do with sending out energy directly. There's two missions, Operation Space Power and Operation Space Power 2, directly in cooperation with um, a, a spacecraft uh, from a, a, another world and a various uh, parts, actually. One's a spacecraft and one's a, a certain area called Central Control. And these energies are then beamed out. Thousands of prayer hours are beamed out to the human race as a result of this cooperation, which we're privileged to do. And then finally, the fifth one that we still do is the Saturn mission, Chrissy. Yes, and of course, Dr. King always said that in the 1960s that the biggest energy crisis facing humanity was not the shortage of oil, exactly. but the shortage of spiritual energy, the energy, the great energies of love. And so he did everything he could through these missions, through teaching us how to pray in a dynamic fashion, teaching us to heal. He... Um, help to balance this great energy crisis and we all are a part of are all able to help with this great crisis because there is if you think about it there is enough to go around on this planet but it's the consciousness people want to hoard things for themselves and you know there's a selfishness which needs to change and if the consciousness changes towards a spiritual one then uh, there will be this sharing there will be enough to go around of the basic necessities Mm -hmm. and, and what I think one of the miraculous things that Dr. King did, uh, various things he did, one of them was that he enabled ordinary people, and I, I'm one of those, um, and Chris, you're another, I think, um, ordinary people, human beings, to take part in these, these very advanced 
missions, which are hundreds of years ahead of their time, at least hundreds of years ahead of their time. Hence, the Ethereum Society, I think, for some people, is, is hard to grasp because it's not... It isn't, there are aspects of it which are not basic. They are advanced cosmic science and, and elevated karmic manipulations for the benefit of humanity. And yet ordinary people like us, thanks to Dr. King, are able to perform these missions. And that, I think, is a miracle in itself, Chrissy. Absolutely, and I think everybody listening has sort of taken that leap into the future. And uh, I admire you for the fact that you are prepared to... Um, take this on board and even though this information is ahead of its time it shows that you have this a broad-minded approach and dr king used to say that you know don't take anything i say but investigate with an open Certainly. mind and this Absolutely. really is the key it is the key and and you know i think the the other thing is of course that there are many many aspects to the ethereum study we've only just touched on some of the things he did i mean there are the fantastic teachings he gave uh, such as from free will to freedom, the 12 blessings, the nine freedoms that we've mentioned. And there's a role that people can play. I mean, the things we do, by the way, such as Operation Prayer Power, are not just restricted to members of the Ethereum Society either. We have people coming along uh, in our various locations, one's in London, one's in Barnsley in, in the north of England, one's in Michigan, one's in Los Angeles, one's in Auckland, New Zealand. We have people coming along who, who perhaps they're churchgoers, perhaps they are Buddhists, but they will come and join in with this, and they are very, very welcome. It's not that you have to believe every aspect or that you understand yet every aspect, because we're all, it's work in progress. I mean, I'm always amazed, Chrissy, just how much uh, I'm, I learn every single time I look at the Nine Freedoms. Oh, absolutely, yes. And I, I think that's one of the most wonderful things about the Ethereum Society for me is that it's very broad. People of all faiths come, join together. Uh, and this really is a, a key for this Aquarian age, is the great religion, of course, in these days is service. It um, is. And that, of course, is, really brings us back to Dr. King, who, who's, um, you know, in fact, his motto was taken from one of the transmissions uh, given in the early days by Mars Sector 6, actually. Choose well, stand fast, no God. And that is the key that he, that was his personal motto. And I think we could do, that's what he demonstrated himself. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy at all. There are many distractions and many excuses. And sometimes people think they've got good reason not to stand fast. But I think if we choose well and then we stand fast, we're well on the way. And then we will, we're told, know God. And that really is why we're here. And I think that's a great place to end this radio show today. So thank you so much, Richard. And over to Annette for the Very well. Choose well, stand fast, and know God. I love it. I wrote that down. Thank you so much, Richard Lawrence and Chrissy Blaze, for yet another fabulous segment of Aetherius Radio Live. There's nothing more wonderful than knowing what's going to happen in the next month and for the next program they're going to focus on the 12 blessings so be sure to tune in live on march 19 2013 at 1 p.m eastern time for Ethereus radio live we also direct you to ethereus.org which is the main website for the Ethereum society where you will find out tremendous information on what's going on in all of the chapters around the world not the least of which is this Friday, February 22nd, 7.30 to 9 p.m. Chrissy Blaze will launch the first of a new monthly series, Cosmic Wisdom Study Classes. 
This will be at the Ethereum Society in Royal Oak, Michigan, and you can contact them at 248-588-0290 for details and information, 248-588-0290. For those of you in England, Richard Lawrence welcomes you to a lecture on Tuesday, March 12th on his book, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, at the London Forum. More details of the lecture and the venue are on his website, richardlawrence.co.uk. And once again, we thank you for being a part of Aetherius Radio Live today on Body, Mind, Spirit Radio.